Uh, today I'm going to be talking about Jesus is. And today the subject is Jesus is the one who never leaves us nor forsakes us. Bit of a long title, I know. Um, but that is the title of what I want to talk about today. Jesus is the one who never leaves us nor forsakes us. And my aim today is that every one of us leaves here today knowing who Jesus is, knowing that Jesus is the one who has always been with you, who has stuck with you closer than a brother, who will always stick with you and will never abandon you, never forsake you. And that is something I believe that every one of us needs to know and know with all of our heart. Now, in uh, the Old Testament, the children of Israel had left the land of Egypt and they had wandered around the desert for 40 years and a new leader had arisen in, in that time. And this new leader was Joshua. Moses led them out of Egypt. Joshua was going to lead them into their new land, into the land that God had promised them. And when Moses appointed Joshua as the new leader to lead them into the land, Moses said these words to Joshua. And I've got myself some cue cards today because I was watching Sean last week and I thought, yeah, lectern is how I normally like it. Um, I like to have all my notes in front of me and uh, all my stuff laid out and stick quite rigidly to my notes. And I was watching Pastor Andy the week before. He was literally just wandering around, didn't need any notes at all. I thought I'm going to do somewhere in between uh, that. Not that short. I mean, Sean was wandering around too, actually. He didn't hardly refer to his notes at all. But um, I've just written a couple of things down here. And this is what Moses said to Joshua uh, when Joshua was about to lead God's people into the land of promise. He said, and the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. So this is Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. And the thing is, when you know that Jesus is with you, when you know that Jesus is faithful to you and will never abandon you, you know that you don't need to fear nor be dismayed. And that's really important because actually this world is full of fear, isn't it? This world is full of turmoil and, um, and, it, and we're not immune to it at all. But the thing is, when we go through stuff, we don't have to fear because we know that Jesus is with us. And then this promise was repeated to Joshua uh, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. And this is God speaking to Joshua now. And God says to Joshua, I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. Now, who knows that people in our lives come and go? Anyone know that? People come and go from our lives. In fact, even the people that you think will always be in your lives, sometimes they're not in your life anymore. Um. And, and that's just the way that life is. People sometimes let you down. People sometimes fail you. People sometimes cause you hurt and cause you pain. That's also the way that life is. Sometimes that happens. And sometimes we're the ones that hurt other people. Sometimes we're the ones that cause pain to other people. So it's not just about how we feel when that happens, but it's about the way that we live our lives as well. Um, but the truth is that Jesus is the one who never leaves and never abandons you. Isn't that good to know? Anyone give me a smile today? little wave? Helps. When, you, when you're standing here and everyone's looking at you like um, they want to kill you, um, it, it's nice to have a few smiles coming back. 
that's just a little hint about how you can be a really good congregation today. Okay, fantastic. Good. Um, so Jesus is the one who will never leave you, nor will let you down. Now, I'm going to tell you a story to illustrate this today, and I've got some help telling this story today. So would my helpers please come, my script readers, and uh, take your microphones and come and read this story with us. Excellent. So this is the parable of the prodigal son. Now, a parable is a story that Jesus told to illustrate a spiritual point, and he would normally use a a natural illustration. So in this story, he uses um, a son and his relationship with his father, and uh, the older brother also features in this story. So I'm the narrator, and these are the characters. Caleb is... uh, Who are you, Caleb? Uh, The servant. You're the servant. Tunde, who are you? I'm the son. Okay, the prodigal son, the lost son. Yeah. Uh, Tina, who are you? Older brother. Older brother. Smudge? I am your father. Okay. And uh, obviously this is set in Hebrew times, so these guys are going to use their best Hebrew accents when they uh, read their part of the story, okay? They, they've just learned that now. So to illustrate this point further, this is Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. To illustrate this point further... Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, Father, I want my share of your estate now, before you die. Good Hebrew accent there, Tunde. <laughs> so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the field to feed his pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home... Even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, I love this bit, while he was still a long way off, Wait for it. His father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and bring it and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and... Do you like this accent? A ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf with... uh, Kill the calf we have been fattening. I need to learn to read. (laughs) We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of his servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. 
and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you've told me. And in all the time you've never gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours come back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and now has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found! Big cheer. Thank you, guys. Good job. Stars of the show today. So this story, just I, I'm just using this story today to illustrate my point that Jesus never leaves us and never forsakes us. So in this story, the youngest son represents us. It represents when we turn from sin, when we turn from the world into a relationship with God. The father obviously represents God, our father in heaven. And the older brother represents people who are in relationship with God, but they've lost their joy. They've lost their first love. They've become religious, legalistic, uh, perhaps hypocritical. In, in their relationship with God. So um, I'm just going to break this story down into a few parts. And I've got a prop for each part of this story today to help you remember what we're talking about. So uh, should we bring this table around here with the props on it? Is someone there to help you, Ben? No. Yes, there is now. The lost son himself has come to help you, Ben. Now, what's going to happen? As they carry this table around, there's going to be this divine exchange. Ben is now going to become our lost son. So big round of applause for Ben this morning. Okay, do you want to get your chair as well there, lost son? Okay, so let's just talk about what happened uh, in part one of this story. So part one of this story is represented by this bottle of beer here. There he is. Look really lost, lost son. Look really wild and... There you go. I mean in the sort of sense of you're doing crazy bad stuff. Um, yeah, right. So, so the son took his inheritance and he lived his best life, but his best life really produced nothing for him. He ended up in a place where he had nothing left. Now, I did say to Ben, um, I was looking for someone dramatic to uh, help me today. I thought of Ben straight away. Um, and then he kept saying, oh, I know what I could do for that scene. I know how I can ad-lib. And I said to Ben, if you can just do what I ask you to do, <laughs> that would be really cool. <laughs> anyway, so, so prodigal living. Yeah, he's got the bottle of beer. He's, um, you know, he, he's kind of living it up according to how the world might live it up. And, um, but he's discovered that there's nothing actually for, truly fulfilling and truly that brings satisfaction in this world, is there, Ben? So, uh, and that's kind of how we all are. Before we have relationship with God, there's nothing that can cut it. There's nothing that can truly satisfy and truly fulfill a person's life outside of a relationship with God. So, no true and lasting satisfaction comes from the world. Now, Jesus was chatting to someone in Samaria at a well. It was a, a lady who uh, came to draw water. And Jesus was, Jesus was there and Jesus asked her to draw her some water. And uh, they had this discussion about the water because this was really good water. But Jesus said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me 
for water because I bring living water. And this is what Jesus said in John chapter 4. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. Drink that water, Ben. That, that, yeah, that one. Yeah. You're going to soon become thirsty again, Ben. But those who drink, there's not really beer in there. Um, but those who drink the water that I give will never thirst again. Turn to someone near you. Say, never thirst again. Okay, that's the water that we want, isn't it? It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And Jesus was talking about himself. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. So God is our Father in heaven. He is Jesus the Son, our Savior. He is the Holy Spirit. They are one. And it's God who is three in one that we worship, isn't it? And so Jesus was talking about himself, how he is the, the spring of water that never runs dry. He's always been there. And do you know what? He was always there. When you were living it up in the world, Jesus was always there. Every time you go in that direction, Jesus is still there. And he is still offering you the living water that if you take that living water, you will never thirst again. Continually, Jesus was offering you the living water when you were living it up before you met him. Now, the son, this is part two of the story, the son came to such a low place in his life that he found himself not just feeding the pigs, but so hungry that he wanted, wanted to eat the pig food. Look at Ben, my prodigal son, eating the food. I think people here want some of that pig food themselves, actually, Ben. That's it, yeah. Come on. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, just in case you're worried, they're actually uh, raisins. Raisins, yeah. Okay. So, isn't it amazing how you can have it all, like the prodigal son did, like the lost son did, yet still be thirsty, still be hungry, still be wanting more? He became so hungry that he wanted to eat the pig food. And the thing is, when all you have is the world, you will become hungry. Maybe not physically, but spiritually. People in this world around us are really, really hungry. And I want you to know today that in your lowest place, in your lowest place that you've been in your life or will be in your life, Jesus never leaves you and he never forsakes you. Someone give me an amen. amen. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you, even in your lowest place. Now, after the feeding of the 5,000, in John chapter 6, um, Jesus spoke again to his disciples. And this time, he didn't talk about himself being uh, the living water. He spoke that he was the bread of life. He said this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so the son eventually came to his senses. Ben, come to your senses, please. He, he had a change of heart. He had a change of mind. And, and that word in the Bible, that's repentance, that word. Cha when, when your heart is changed, when you say, I'm not going to go that way anymore, I'm going to go towards God. That's called repenting. And he had a change of heart. Look at him repenting there. He came to his senses and he decided to go to his father house, father's house where he would be filled. And then, of course, we read in Luke chapter 15. Stay there for a sec. It says he returned to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. I was going to 
pretend to be the father myself, but let's let's act this. Pro go over there. Go. All right. Okay. So here we go. I've spent every day just looking out for my lost son. Is he returning? Oh, I see him. Son! He's good, isn't he? He's really good. My lost son has returned. And I, you know what? That is one of my favorite scenes in, in the whole Bible, actually is the return of the lost son. And in that moment, Jesus was there. In the story of the parable of the prodigal son, you know, I think there's a third brother that we don't hear much about, but I think that third brother is effectively Jesus. And, and he was there whilst the son was lost. He was there whilst the son was eating the pig food. And he was there to... to um, to, to enable the son to come home because this is what Jesus did for us. The father poured out this incredible love and mercy upon his son. And the truth is that, that God's love for us, his mercy for us, his, his forgiveness towards us, it's total, it's complete, it's unconditional. That's how God welcomed us home into his family, isn't it? And, and that's been shown to us. And Jesus who never leaves us and never forsook us. In our worst times, Jesus made that possible because Jesus took our punishment when he died on the cross. He took our sin, all of our wrongdoing, Jesus took upon himself when he died on the cross. And the moment that you believed in Jesus is the moment that the Father's arms were put around you. You, you said, I'm going to change my ways, I'm going to leave the old life, and I'm going to run to God. And when you run to God, as Sean was saying last week, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And when you run to God by believing in Jesus, then the Father's arms are right around you. And you're unconditionally loved. You're unconditionally shown forgiveness and mercy by God. So he left the pigsty. He became clean. There was no more dirt on him. No more mess. No more stench. You know, when the son came home, because of what Jesus has done for us, when we approach God, God doesn't see any dirt on us, any stench. He sees us as completely clean. And that's illustrated by the next thing that happened. The father got the robe. Here's um, a white lab coat. I thought it would work as a robe today. Son. I hope it fits you, son. Perfect fit, son. Just ignore, ignore the words, and it says doctor, general practitioner. So the first thing that the father did after embracing his son, when the son came home, the first thing the father did was to place a robe on his son. And, of course, we read in the Bible about this, this robe of righteousness that those who are in relationship with God through Jesus, have been given. And I love these words in Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 10. It says, I'm overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. He has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I'm like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding and a bride with her jewels. So this robe represents his, the son's 
righteousness with God. This robe represents how the Son was made clean before Father God. The Father sees no sin, only holiness when he looks at his Son. Not because of what you've done, but because you've believed in Jesus. The next thing that happened is that the Son was given a ring. I, th I wanted you to see and remember this illustration today, so would you put this on your finger? In fact, put it around your body, that might work better. Let's, let's see what Ben's hula hooping skills are like, shall we? Try again. Yeah, yeah, of course it is, yeah. All right. So this ring, what does this ring represent? Well, this is a ring of covenant, isn't it? That's what a ring represents. And a covenant is simply a committed relationship with promises attached to it. That's what a covenant is. And so the, it was the father's joy to give his son this ring that he actually put on his finger, of course. And this was the family ring. It represented the family that he was now part of. It was a ring of relationship. It represented the father's commitment to the son, but also the son's commitment to being part of this family again. And, and with this ring came promises. In fact, the father... Can everyone hear me okay? Yeah. The father, the father made promises to his son and said, everything that I have in my kingdom is yours again. Even though you took your inheritance, everything I have in my kingdom is yours to share. And that's the awesome thing about God, isn't it? When you come into relationship with God by putting your faith in Jesus, not only are you made right before God, but everything that God's kingdom is, is ours to enjoy and to share of. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. It says in Romans 5 verse 8, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. The next part of the story, Corbin, I borrowed your slides this morning. Ben's going to put them on now. I washed my feet in two weeks. <laughs> Did you hear that? He hasn't washed his feet in two weeks. Oh, no. oh, yeah. <laughs> they fit you perfectly, Ben. You may, you may get to keep those. So what do these shoes represent? Well, the father gave these shoes to his son. And these shoes represent sonship. They represent that the fact that the son was freed from slavery to sin, to the world. You know, until we meet Jesus, until we come into relationship with God, we are slaves to the way that this world lives, aren't we? But the moment we come into relationship with God, you're free. You're free, Ben. you got the shoes on now. You're now adopted into God's family. Amen. And isn't that wonderful to know that because of Jesus, who never leaves us, never forsakes us, we're adopted into God's family. We are children of God. Jesus, the Son of God, traded places with us when he took our sin upon himself on the cross. He paid the price for every wrongdoing that ever separated us from God. But not only that, Jesus then rose from the dead. He's the eldest son. He's our big brother, in effect, who loves us and brought us back into the Father's house and remains fully committed to us. And that's important to know as well. Now you're walking with God. Now you're walking in relationship with God. Jesus remains fully committed to us. He remains the one that will still never leave you and never forsake you. It says in 1 John 3 verse 1, 
See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. Turn to someone close to you and say, that is what we are. Well, the very next thing that happened is that the son was invited to sit at the banqueting table. So let's take the pig food off the banqueting table, because we don't need that anymore. There we are. Let's clear it off. We don't need that anymore either. No, no, that's gone too. We don't need that anymore. But what you do have is some flame-grilled steak McCoys, a roast chicken sandwich, and uh, a Coca-Cola Zero. Um, a meal deal courtesy of an unnameable shop because we mustn't be seen to be plugging any specific brand of supermarket here at Family Church. So... The son sat down to this incredible banquet uh, and began to enjoy a feast that was laid on by his father for him. This is how much he was now part of the family. It says in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4, He escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. Just think of those words relating to your life just for a second. See, this is what God's done in our lives. God has escorted us to his banqueting table. It's obvious how much he loves us. Psalm 23 verse 5 says, You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Look at the blessing of Ben sitting at that table, feasting on that roast chicken sandwich and those McCoy's crisps. See, the table is representative of a place of eating, a place, so, so in other words, fulfillment, satisfaction, a place of joy. Look at the joy that Ben's experiencing at that table. I should have got a few other family members to sit with him. But isn't it wonderful sitting at my table? Do I get pocket money now? No. <laughs> Look what you did last time with your pocket. No, that's not how it works. A place of talking, a place of interacting, a place of growing together as a family, a place of celebrating together, and even a place of crying together. That's what the table represents. Now, Jesus, of course, who never leaves us, is also sat at this table. The Father's at the table, and Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And we're all sat around the table together as one big family in God. And I just love that picture. I want you to know today that you have a place at God's table. I think you should again turn to the person next to you. Tell them, you have a place at God's table. And I also want, as a church family, for us, when people come into our church environment, I want them to experience the embrace of the Father's arms and to feel truly welcome as children of God, to feel truly welcome into the household of God. I want them to learn about the robe that they've been given. In other words, that they're right before God. I want them to learn about the ring that they've been given, that God's, that they're now in a committed relationship with God, that there's promises that God's given them. I want them to learn about the shoes that they've been given, the truth that they've been set free, and that they're now part of God's family, that they're a child of God. And I want everyone to find their place at God's table. There is a place for every single person at God's table. 
and, it, and, and we mustn't just rely on someone coming into our, our environment as a church family and just finding their place. You know what we should do? We should help people find their place at God's table. Make sure f- people feel so loved and so welcomed and just find their place in the family of God. We all have a part to play in that, don't we? One of the things that, that we are absolutely determined to do as, as the weeks go by is to make sure that Family Church truly is a place where people feel like they're coming home. We've been talking, Paul has been talking a lot about the England team coming home. Well, football's coming home. That we, we want Family Church to be a place where people truly feel like they have arrived home, that they feel so welcome and so loved. And that isn't just my job. That's not just Pastor Randy's job or Paula's job or, or any of, it's just not a single job. It's all of our responsibility, isn't it? Every one of us should take responsibility to make sure that anyone that comes into our church environment feels loved and welcome as part of our church family. So there's something to think about. And the last thing that I want to, to talk about that Um, illustrates the truth that Jesus never leaves us and never forsakes us is the last part of this story, which is the field. Because there's a field that's mentioned. So if you just picture this as the father's house here, and there is a field around the house. Now you guys, you're actually all sitting in the house with me. Let's pretend. Uh, And outside of the house, there is a big field, and that field represents the world. When the Bible talks about the field and the harvest, it's talking about the world that we live in and the fact that um, it's our responsibility to bring the good news of Jesus to the field and to bring people in to God's house. That's what God wants us to do. But the older brother was out in the field, and, and my view is that the older brother had probably spent too much time in the field, and that the field had had its way on the older brother. The problem was with the older brother is that his relationship with his father wasn't actually very good. See, his home with his father's house, but he was spending all his time in the field, in the world. And the older brother was being pulled away from the father's house by the very things that the youngest son had now been delivered from. Look at the youngest son. He's loving it in the father's house. Yet the older brother had all of this. In fact, the older brother had always had all of this. Everything that the the younger son was now enjoying was always the older brother. And he'd never left the house, but he'd forgotten. And what had happened, he'd spent so much time in the field, too much time in the field, and been pulled away. (laughs) And I want you to know that even in our backsliding... Even when we do wander, Jesus still will never leave you and never forsake you. And that is a truth that someone here today might need to know. The field isn't our home. Don't get too comfortable on the field. The Father's house is our home. We're called to visit the field. We're called to visit the field to bring in the harvest, um, but not to make our home in the field. Bringing in the harvest is about sharing the good news of Jesus with people that live in this world around us. And we can do this confident in the truth that Jesus never leaves us. As Christian people, we need to remember that every day that we spend in this world, Jesus never leaves us. 
And not only that, he's given us his Holy Spirit and he empowers us. He fills us with his great, incredible, heavenly power to be everything that we need to be in this world. And that's great to know, isn't it? That we're not alone. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples before he left, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you my spirit. and I'm going to fill you with my wisdom, with my power. You're going to have everything that you need to live life well in this, li- in this world and represent me really well. And the last passage that I want to read you is from John chapter 20. And in John chapter 20, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus never leaves us and never forsakes us. Has anyone heard that today? Have you got that in your hearts today? I want you to know that today above anything else. I want you to know that Jesus is the one who never leaves you and never forsakes you. And if you're here today and you are visiting us, if you're here today and you've never started to walk in a relationship with God, then I want you to know one really, really important thing is this, that it's impossible to have a relationship with God without faith in Jesus. Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God. And all you need to do is say, I don't want to live for this world anymore. I recognize that this world does not satisfy me, does not fulfill me. I'm hungry. I am thirsty. And to recognize that Jesus is the only one that can satisfy you and the only one who can fulfill your life. To put your faith in Jesus. He took all of your rottenness, all of your filth, all of your dirt, all of your sin upon himself when he died on the cross. And in that very moment when he died on the cross, his right standing with God became available to you. The moment you put your faith in Jesus is the moment that you become right with God. And you can walk in an incredible relationship with God. Nice noisy helicopter going above us there. And if that's you today, and you haven't made that decision in your heart to put your faith in Jesus, then right now as I pray, then would you just put your faith in Jesus? Say, I'm done with the world. I want to walk in relationship with God. Let's just bow our heads and pray this morning. Then we're going to finish with a song. Father, thank you that we recognize today that there's nothing outside of you that satisfies our lives, nothing that fulfills us, But we recognize that when we find you, God, we find absolute fulfillment. We find absolute satisfaction. Oh, God, we thank you, Lord, that you are the living water, that you're the bread of life. And I pray, Father, today that every person who is sitting on this field here, every person who's listening to my voice today, would just know, Jesus, that you are the one who satisfies. You are the one who not just gives real life in this world but gives eternal life beyond the grave and I pray Father that every heart that turns to you right now God would just be filled with your love would be filled with an understanding of your amazing forgiveness and mercy and that we would be a people that run towards you 
that don't let go of everything that you've got for us, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the one who never leaves us, never forsakes us.